January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, trafficking and other human rights violations have increased, while there has been a decrease in financial and human resources dedicated to anti-trafficking and protections. As the pandemic rages on, government resources have been diverted to focus more on the growing health and economic concerns. Rest assured, agency administrators stay committed to anti-trafficking efforts. This year's Spotlight Month is dedicated to educating ourselves about human trafficking, and more importantly, to learn the signs of its existence. The North Carolina Justice Academy is committed to this focus and accordingly will dedicate the entire month to different aspects and issues involved in human trafficking. Field crest towards Clanton. I'm turning around as I'm driving down Clanton. I'm turning around and see if I can find him again. Columbus, subject U-1074, electronic, I guess you were. NCJA-1014. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 10-4-10. 
Kelly, I'm going to start with you. If you'll give us an overview of what some of the key takeaways that you could share from this training. You know, the overwhelming message from from the IPC training is we have to stop waiting for children to ask for help. This is meant to be a proactive, preventative approach. Um, you know, we we have to be the voice of our most vulnerable population, and that is our, our children. Um, and knowing that our offenders are traveling with children, moving them from place to place, you know, we, we have to take the steps to identify those high-risk offenders. So I, I guess it's safe to say that if an officer gets involved in an investigation like this, and obviously we know that it kind of starts to grow legs, that there is help and, and very, very supportive help from other agencies out there that can take over a piece of that investigation, particularly when it comes to victims. Yeah, certainly. It you know, utilizing your resources like CACs or CPS can potentially get better answers from children when it's done in an environment that they are trained to set up to um, be able to adapt to a child based on, you know, their age or the trauma that they've experienced. So really partnering with those resources well is going to tremendously benefit law enforcement. Okay. Kelly, let me come back to you as we talked primarily about victims in Alex's response, what are some of the key takeaways from this IPC training? To follow up with with Alex's response, you know, part of this is a a shift in mindset. You know, law enforcement officers are all about locking up the responsible party, and that is a big piece of this. But a lot of this training is, is focusing on you're hearing a lot of underlying um, philosophies about the victim-centered approach and the multi multidisciplinary approach, and so it's getting those officers trained. You know that the a, a lot of these folks are affected by the trauma, and so they have a limited amount of time, usually on on the side of a road or during a, a regular patrol encounter with these folks, and so it's making best use of that time and understanding the behaviors that that person is presenting, because some of those initial responses in that interaction can be very crucial to an invest investigation later on down, on down the road. So a lot of this is changing that mindset of how you deal and interact with these people initially. Um, but the underlying thing is who, who does not want to protect our children? We've got to do a better job, like Rick said, of prevention and not a reactionary place. We have to stop asking and waiting for our children to ask for help. We're, that's unfairly placing a burden on, on our, our child victims. And this is kind of the over overlying message of the whole IPC program. And, you know, we know that our offenders are, are traveling with our, our victims, and this program is, is set up to help protect those children. And our children are our most vulnerable population. Well, since you kind of knocked on that door just a little bit, Rick, I'm going to come back to you. It wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about the guys on the street. And and we've talked and spent a lot of time, and you guys have done an awesome job of talking about trying to change mindsets. But there will always be that mindset. And certainly any investigation leads to the probability of charges being made. As As Kelly mentioned, somewhat of the focus of a law enforcement guy is 
who's going to be charged, who's headed to jail. So let's let's just go ahead and and touch on that and and talk about what crimes does the IPC program help an officer uncover? So it helps them cover a plurality of crimes that are exploitation-based. So it could be uh, CSAM, which is child sexual abuse uh, material, sometimes referred to as child porn. It could be sex offender registry violations. It could be sexual exploitation of a minor. It could be human trafficking. It might be just a missing uh, runaway child. You know, it could be contributing delinquency of a minor. And one of the things that the program does a great job about is, you know, you ask a trooper, you know, how much tread's supposed to be on a tire, they're going to tell you five thirty seconds of an inch. They know that. But if you ask them the nuanced details of the sex offender registry, they're not sure. And you, they, they aren't able to act uh, assertively uh, and know what their statutory authority is because they're not sure. And this training is really going to empower them uh, and place them or give them the information they need to act um, and, and to bring in these resources uh, that have been discussed in order for them to be able to help children and uh, remove them from a dangerous situation. Um, you know, a big piece of this is trying to recognize high-risk threats to children that, you know, we may have otherwise uh, overlooked. You know, and as a result of this, officers are initiating criminal investigations, you know, involving abductions, human trafficking, sexual assault on children. You know, a big piece of this often, too, is we're seeing that we're, we're finding a lot of sex offender registry violations and noncompliance issues with that, a, a whole litany of things. Why would an officer want to take the IPC training? Um, you know, there is documentation and the stats are already, already there. Um, this program has proven to enhance officers' ability to identify victims of exploitation, missing children technology-driven crimes against children, you know, high-risk threats against children. You know, we're finding folks um, register sex offenders and violations associated with that. And I mean, I just think that human trafficking, and this is a piece of, of human trafficking, is, is putting information out there for officers that they can more readily identify and rescue these children, as well as, you know, suspects. And again, it's coming back to Intervening early is prevention, and you may be preventing physical, sexual, emotional abuse to these kids. Trooper Cuff, I want to come back to you as a guy who's on the street, a guy who's working with a DEA task force and understands a lot about interdiction, especially covering a, a wide breast of uh, North Carolina and the eastern part of the state. I know this tra training has not formally rolled out yet, but we alluded to the fact that a lot of folks from North Carolina have seen the presentation from the Texas Department of Public Safety. Any possibility that there's been any kind of war story, I think probably a better term would be, have there been any success stories to come out of the introduction of the training that's been brought to North Carolina so far? Yes, sir. It, it has, and um, it's, it's, it's a success story out of uh, Halifax County. Um, where a deputy out of Halifax County attended the training. I believe he was there for a day, and he had the two-day interdiction course on the IPC training. And after that day of it, uh, he was actually working on I-95 at uh, mile marker 166. And this, again, this is right outside of Halifax, where he assisted a, a motorist with a flat tire. And encountering the motorist with the flat tire, he uh, ran across a 23-year-old driver and uh, would be a 15-year-old passenger in the vehicle. 
during the deputy's encounter with the driver and the passenger of this flat tire, he goes through his stop and just attending this training, which was put on, like I said, a day before, he was able to take some of the indicators that he saw in the stories that he got from Texas. And during his investigation, it really wasn't even an investigation when it started, it was just an assistance. But taking some of the indicators, he was able to notice things in that stop that didn't seem to be uh, applicable to what was going on at the time. And those indicators, um, to generalize it, was a clear suggestion that there was not a familiar relationship between the female adult driver and the child in the vehicle. The, the adult driver wasn't able to um, substantiate any, any personal relationship with the female, even though she claimed that the child was a family member of hers. He took the clues and indicators from the training and was able to identify a child that would potentially be uh, commercial exploitation of a children or trafficking of a child. So some red flags had already kind of come up for the deputy, and he kind of continues his questioning and communicating on the side of the road. And it led down a path of, you know, some really suspicious behavior about the child's travel and living arrangements in multiple locations. To take it a little bit further, the deputy ended up searching the vehicle, finding, you know, evidence of food and gas receipts that supports that the adult travel the adult was traveling frequently um, in multiple states. The deputy used some of his resources, law enforcement databases, and kind of corroborated that there was frequent travel between, you know, multiple states. And this kind of led him to the conclusion um, that the adult female in the car, the driver, was a high-risk threat to the child. And, you know, was this person engaged in smuggling of people? Was it human trafficking? Is it possible commercial sexual exploitation of a children who, who knows at that point but all the all the red flags were there he contacted uh victim services which alex was great in the time she was able to step up and help out and contact her um, colleagues in the victim services portion and we were able to they were able to identify a child that was being exploited at that time, or she was being trafficked at that time. Alex kind of coordinated some victim services um, for this situation through Bridge International, one of our human trafficking nonprofit organizations. But due to the recognition of the indicators and in attending this class and his quick responses and the collaboration with Alex and her, her folks, this child was taken into emergency protection um, and reunited with her legal guardian. The deputy was able to save a child that day, and which was great for us because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, we're trying to match what Texas is doing because we have it here in North Carolina. So instead of us being reactive, that deputy was actually being proactive, and he was able to, to save a child that day. And that case is actually still an ongoing case. Alex, it sounds to me like this multidisciplinary approach that you talked about earlier is all up in this. Am I wrong there? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not wrong at all. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm so grateful to have had the colleagues in to be able to assist, you know, because, you know, like Trooper Cup said, when, when that call came in and there was questions about what to do regarding the, um, 
what to do about the child, because how to communicate with the child because she spoke Spanish, and then also to do what to do regarding the custody of the child, um, not only because she was undocumented, but because she was with someone who, you know, was claiming to be a family member, but was not a guardian. And I also just want to clarify earlier when I had said with CPS that um, we are, you know, not only as law enforcement, but adults in North Carolina, we are mandated to report any um, suspected trafficking or abuse, even if it's not at the hand of a guardian or parent, um, because that can still very much mandate intervention from CPS. Um, so just wanted to clarify that point. But coming back to this case, it was really very helpful because I was able to connect the deputy to the Bridge International, which is a victim services agency. And the bilingual provider was able to provide really great translation services um, or interpretation services, excuse me. Um, and she was also able to provide really great cultural context for the circumstances that the child was removed from that weren't clear to everyone involved. And then um, also information on how to just best navigate that situation with an undocumented child moving forward based on her age and her culture. And so, like you said, there was a lot of multidisciplinary elements that were applied here. And because they were, the takeaways from that was that the officer was able to effectively communicate with the victim and do his job. And the victim was also then spoken to in her own language by not only someone who understood and came from a similar culture, but by someone who was trauma-informed. So she was able to interact with the child um, in a way that communicated that safety that I touched on earlier. And so the experience of being removed from people and being with law enforcement who spoke a different language, you know, that situation was not one that potentially caused more trauma, um, but instead was one where there was, you know, additional folks that were able to kind of step in and provide that um, additional support. And so now the victim is, of course, supported to a good support system which will then ensure that she gets the necessary services and support moving forward. And so hopefully additional vulnerabilities are not then created on later in her life. And she has the good resources now to be able to get the help she needs. And obviously great to know that those service providers are there and usually just a phone call away. Kelly, just is there anything from a law enforcement perspective that you can add to what Alex was just talking about? Yeah, to, to piggyback off of what Alex is saying, I, I think that a big a big piece to this is changing the mindset of how we approach these cases. You know, from a law enforcement perspective, a lot of times it's who are we going to lock up and how quickly can we get that done and move on to the next thing? And like Alex says, it's closing that gap. And this has got to be, if you've not already picked up on the theme, that this is very victim um focused and it's a multiple multiple disciplinary approach. And so putting the tools in the toolbox, you know, a lot of officers can tell you just about any interaction, your spotty senses go off and you may know that something's not right. And a lot of this is, you know, understanding how victims of trauma may present. It's, you know, I think there's some misconceptions about that, but learning how to articulate after learning what these indicators are, it is a big, a big piece to this. And, um, 
I think Alex said this, a lot of times we're going to have a very um, short amount of time to interact with these children and knowing how these victims may present to you and what those indicators are and making best use of that time with them is crucial to this process. And so part of the training is, you know, learning what those preliminary investigative techniques are, those methods of identifying those children. You know, a lot of this intertwines with child pornography, child erotica, and other types of evidence. And it's, you know, that intelligence gathering and what you're going to do to report that and make that an investigative case. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what training is all about. Well, perhaps the motto of the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission says it best, committed to the freedom and flourishing of all North Carolinians. In 2020, there were 266 investigated cases of human trafficking in our state. And as you've heard, there are agencies and resources in North Carolina committed to reducing and hopefully eliminating that number. A particular focus is on our most vulnerable population, children. Special thanks to our guest on today's episode of NCJA 1014. Major Rick Hoffman retired after 27 years of service with the Raleigh Police Department. Since then, he has spent time providing technical and training assistance to federally funded statewide human trafficking task forces. He has provided human trafficking investigative training nationwide to improve outcomes for victims. And he helped bring IPC to North Carolina by completing the Train the Trainer course earlier this year. Alex Bumgardner has worked with survivors of trauma for over five years. Three of those have been with Project Fight in Asheville. Through Project Fight, she provides comprehensive case management services to survivors of human trafficking, conducts trainings in her community, and collaborates with law enforcement in order to address survivors' needs. Mark Nichols, who is retired following 30 years of service with the North Carolina Highway Patrol, where he earned the rank of major. In that capacity, he was responsible for supervision in the fields of special operations, including human trafficking, criminal investigations, and motor carrier enforcement operations. Major Nichols is currently a member of the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission. Kelly Hodges is the State Bureau of Investigation Special Agent in charge of the Special Programs Unit that includes human trafficking. She began her law enforcement career in 2002 when she was hired by the SBI. She has diverse experience working in field operations as a crime scene specialist, criminal agent, drug agent, and clan lab site safety officer. And finally, Master Trooper Donald Cuff, who has been with the North Carolina State Highway Patrol for eight years. He is currently assigned to the DEA task force as a member of the criminal interdiction team covering Eastern North Carolina. Thank you all so much for your time, your expertise, and we look forward to seeing this IPC training grow in North Carolina. January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month throughout the United States. If you see suspicious activity that could be even remotely related to human trafficking, please don't hesitate to call the law enforcement agency that serves your area or the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-343-7888. Additional resources are also available on the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission website.
NCJA 1014.